0: Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD, streaming live at wordradio.com.
1: Joining us now is uh, Ansley Lillian Kiro. She is a professor at uh, the University of Northern Alabama, wrote an interesting piece about uh, the quest for racial equality in rural America. Professor Kiro's, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you talk about the the quest for for racial equality in rural America, how is that different from the the quest for racial equality in cities like Philadelphia or Chicago or New York?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in some ways it's the same. Uh, People want the same freedoms, they want justice, they want equality um, of opportunity. But the timelines and the structures in those places are really different. And so in cities, you have just a different set of challenges um, than you do in rural areas. And then when we talk about the black freedom struggle, the timelines are just very different um, in places that have in urban spaces versus places, especially in the deep south that are more rural. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, one of the things, of course, that is uh, so um, valuable. Uh, anywhere is is land, but especially in, in rural places, because that's how people make their living. So what happened with Black land from your research uh, in rural areas that you, that you looked at?
0: Yeah, so this is like a long question mm-hmm. in some ways. Of course, like Black Americans have worked in agricultural spaces, have farmed and worked land for a long time um, during enslavement, worked to gain um, immense experience and expertise in farming, but of course were denied land ownership for the most part, um, and worked land for no pay. Um, after emancipation, after reconstruction, some black Americans began to accrue land, um, and worked hard. I mean, worked hard to buy it and tend to it and take care of it despite, um, All the uncertainties that come with farming, no matter who you are. But then in the mid-century, at the same time that we see the civil rights movement really begin to unfold in the 1950s and 1960s, changes in agriculture, like mechanization and other things, made farming much more capital intensive. And you get the rise of these bigger farms um, that displaced black Americans. And then, of course, when black Americans are applying for loans or applying for other types of assistance, uh, farming, educational assistance, they're denied because of systemic historic racism. Mm -hmm.
1: So you you looked at some specific stories of some specific people. One of them was Corinne Woodson. She's uh, 83 years old and was uh was about to lose her home. What what happened with her and what happened with their, their land?
0: Yeah, as far as I know, actually that story is still unfolding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so Corinne Woodson has about 40 acres outside of Auburn, Alabama, which is in kind of southeast Alabama, pretty close to the Georgia border, um, which is part of the part of the Black Belt. So very good land, farming land. Um She's had, her family's had that land since 1911. Mm. So it's been those kind of a, it passed down through generations. Um, and that actually can be another way that people lose land. Um, it's specifically pretty common in black communities, which is people move away. They move to Chicago, move to Philadelphia, move to Atlanta, don't want to come back and farm in these smaller, um, spaces for understandable reasons. And so what happens is sometimes the land gets divided. And the parcels get smaller or it's held by a bunch of different people. Um, those are easier parcels to take, frankly, um, when companies or uh, landowners want to take them. That seems to be what's happened in Miss Woodson's case. Um, so she's trying to hold on to her parcel while a company called Cleveland Brothers has bought all of the surrounding land. What used to be just really rural farmland, where Black Americans were pushed out to, mm-hmm. now is pretty valuable because of the university and because of the way that place has developed. And so, this developer is basically bullying her out of her land, um, and they're they're saying that the value has increased such that she can no longer afford the land that her family has owned since 1911.
1: So they're telling her what what she can afford, and it, so how is the um, the county or the local government? Um, involved in in something like that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that the county really is involved Mm -hmm. um, or that the local government is involved. I think this is sort of like a legal issue, which is another thing. So um, I don't know that, I'm sure Ms. Woodson has retained counsel of some kind, but this is one of those situations where a a massive developer is going to have much deeper pockets for a legal fight than a rural black woman, which is another way Um, that injustices
1: continue. Lord have mercy. So, you know, one of the things we look at in in cities is gentrification. So um, when you talked about the value of the land increasing, that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that happens in cities. Like, so people move in, they develop uh, old property and uh, suddenly the value of the surrounding properties goes up. The taxes on those Mm -hmm. properties go up. The people can't afford the taxes on the property. And so they move out uh, and Mm -hmm. other people with deep pockets move in. In, in rural areas, you have these these court fights where people can't afford to fight uh, it in, in court. What are some of the other ways that black people have lost their land or are losing their land in rural areas? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: In some ways, again, like that dynamic is similar. Hmm. Um, the, the ways that black Americans are being displaced when values change, which is again, I mean, the deeper problem there is like not valuing black lives and not valuing those stories. Um, I think the other ways are the uh, farming has become really expensive and it, it has changed such that we don't have family farms. Um, access to that as a way to enter the middle class has really diminished. Um, another is agricultural education has, has dissipated. Um, and some of that's cultural and some of it's educational. Um, but kids are not being, being trained in, in agriculture in the same ways. Um, and then these sort of trends among families where it's harder to hang on to land. But land ownership remains, just as it would in the city, it remains one of the ways to build wealth. And we know that there is a big wealth, racial wealth gap in this country. Um, and some of it is perpetrated by you know, mortgage companies and these sort of patterns of land ownership, but it also gets perpetrated through mortgages and through loans. And so one of the other things is that when black farmers apply for loans, Mm. they're often denied. So even in 2023, I think the latest statistics were that only 36% of black farmers who applied for loans received them, where 72% of white farmers did. Mm. And, Part of it is because the, the paperwork is pretty complicated. It, they don't have assistance that white farmers have, those sort of agricultural assistance agencies aren't helping them. Um, and so it's, it's a big problem. In January of 2023, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey did uh, propose, introduce a bill, the Justice for Black Farmers Act, um, that would address some of this, including yeah. creating like a conservation core essentially for young black people to learn how to farm or, or to train to farm, um, but it seems to have gone nowhere so far. Hmm.
1: You know, there's a, of course, a historical aspect to all of this. Um, you look at, uh, in your story, the United States Commission on Civil Rights, uh, investigation of land dispossession in Alabama's Black Belt. What is Alabama's Black Belt and why did that commission feel the need to investigate what was happening with black land in that area?
0: Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, Alabama's black belt is part of just the black belt of the South, which is a reference to the color of the soil. It's like this very, very rich soil. But also because of slavery, it, it came to have kind of a double meaning in terms of demographics. But that's where the those counties in the kind of swath across Georgia, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, those counties were majority black counties. Um, and and for, for most of American history, Black Americans could not vote, of course, in those counties. Um, but they remain majority Black counties today. Um, and the land is value. The farmland is extremely valuable. Now, the educational systems, the infrastructure for that is pretty terrible. Um, but, but basically, those have been sites of, of slavery and incredible oppression for many, many years. And then during the civil rights movement, you have... Um, Organizers, local people, first and foremost, but then later organizers from national groups like SNCC the so Stokely Carmichael, who goes to Lowndes County, Alabama, which is actually where the Black Panther originates just mm-hmm. like a really cool story if you don't know that one. Dr. Hassan Jeffries of Ohio State University has written a book called Bloody Lounge that really tells that story. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Sherrod does this in southwest Georgia organizing rural people to say like we have a majority like if we've registered a vote we can take control of some of these counties and that became an existential fight for mm-hmm. white supremacists mm-hmm. in those places and it's one that's still unfolding. That timeline is in the 70s and 80s. It is not of the 60s Mm. Um, and in Lowndes County, Alabama today, poor black residents do not have adequate sanitation. So they're filing federal complaints to try to get an equal sanitation system today. Mm.
1: It reminds me of some of the fights over water systems in places Mm -hmm. like Flint, Michigan and Jackson, Mm -hmm. Mississippi, you know, the same things happening where you you don't have the 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 equality in these basic systems that you should have uh, based on the taxes that that you pay. And so, is this okay. something that happens with the state? And is is this one of the ways that that people are forced out? You know, you just don't give them the resources that they should have from from a governmental standpoint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's one of it. I mean, the the state of Alabama is not doesn't seem to be incredibly concerned with with the plight of. For black women in Lowndes County, um, but I think this is also—it's discouraging. I mean, it, the grind of that sort of poverty and that sort of dispossession and that sort of neglect—that um, can be very discouraging for movement uh, violence as well. You know, when that arises, um, and so it's a way also to to keep people down. Hmm.
1: We are talking uh, with uh, Professor um, Ansley. Quiros uh, from the University of Northern Alabama about a piece that she wrote about um, land uh, fights in rural America and the quest for racial equality connected to the land. So I'll ask you this question. Um, How is racial equality connected to land? Well, Charles
0: Sherrod, who was an organizer, uh, in southwest georgia used to say all power comes from the land mm-hmm. and comes from god <laughs> an absolute power comes from god mm-hmm. and i think you know in this country land has been the key to wealth and for many 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 decades black americans worked the land and had no access to wealth because of slavery mm-hmm. and um, attempts to black Americans from land ownership, to keep them from that power, which is both a political power and the power of self-sufficiency, is part of that same project of white supremacy, in my opinion. Mm
1: -hmm. And so, you know, given that these fights continue, um, you know, black farmers still not getting loans uh, at the same rate of of white farmers, uh, black people being dispossessed of their land, these legal battles that these rural people can't afford to fight. You know, what are the some of the solutions that that you found for these uh, these ongoing and various problems that push black people off of their land?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. The main thing is that we have to pay attention to rural spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that the media covers things, even the, the national media, even our cultural media, a lot of the attention is in these fights in the vanguard, in these cities. Um, whether it's over gentrification or whether it's over education, all important. But it's really easy to to take our eyes off of rural spaces. Mm-hmm. They don't have good journalistic coverage. They're out of the way. Um, but they're also important. And those people's lives are important, too. Um, so I think the first thing is to pay attention to rural spaces, to understand that in some of these places, things have not changed much over the past 50, 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also donating to organizations like the Equal Justice in- Initiative or um, the Southern Cooperatives that are helping get legal counsel, educate farmers. Um, there are groups doing this work in Southern states. Um, and then I think the last thing, of course, is like politically electing leaders who care about rural spaces, especially in those rural spaces. So finding um Candidates to run who care about justice for Black farmers, who care about equality for all rural citizens, Black and white, whether it's access to Internet or access to clean water, um, and developing those candidates so that they can be elected officials. And then I think nationally, things like Senator Booker's bill would be great if we could get that passed and and put some um, concern towards the congressional representatives to get that done. Hmm.
1: Ansley Carreros is an associate professor of history at the University of North Alabama and author of God with Us Lived Theology and the Freedom Struggle in America's 1942 to 1976. Professor, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning on WURD.